Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. Um, we're going to start with part one of God, service in action and how to move God into or how to move God's power into our lives. And we're doing this in two parts because there's two really important elements that we need to recognize. Part one is about service, service to humanity and to self. And there's a capital S with the self, which means our higher self. So we want to learn how do we serve our higher self. <clears throat> Mahatma Gandhi once said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. That's the idea that our service has to be altruistic from a pure place. It cannot be attached to anything that is transactional and that we like to receive as a result of our service. So losing ourselves means is our service should not be connected to anything that we want, but to realize what serves others or the community. We will get something out of it for sure, but that should not be the first driving factor. <clears throat> For example, the Dalai Lama says, or said, the root of happiness is altruism, the wish to be of service to others. So altruism, in, in research, they, in psychology, they basically split it up into four different kinds of altruistic behavior. One is genetic. We are genetically inclined to be altruistic toward our families, right? That makes sense. Brothers, sisters, parents, children. We automatically want to be altruistic to them because we have this desire for our genes to, you know, move forward and have generations and generations to come. Then there is the reciprocal uh, altruism, which is the kind of where you just do um, not that it's a bad thing, but you do it because you're hoping that eventually the other person will do the same thing back to you, right? I call this also transactional, okay? It's transactional because it's, it's supposed to be a two-way thing. It's not a bad thing, it's just one form of altruism that we recognize. Then we have the group-selected altruism, which is what we do here in the community. For example, the Four Saints food pantry that we serve once a month. That is a group-selected activity where we're doing something altruistic. And we do this for many different reasons, right? Sometimes we do it because we like the people that are there. Sometimes we do it for all sorts of reasons. 
And then there is the pure altruism. And on the pure altruism, what that means is just there is no agenda, no transaction, no expectation. And that's the kind of altruism and service we need to recognize. That's the difference between serving for whatever reason and be in God service, pure altruistic service. <clears throat> so there is a story in the Bible that most of you are familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And most of you know also how this story goes and how it ends. I've highlighted a couple of things that I think are really important because this story doesn't start when you read the first few verses. It doesn't start at the story. It starts with a challenge. It starts with a lawyer who is challenging Jesus. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was challenged all the time, which is a reflection of when we are on a spiritual path, as Christ, when we learn to express ourselves with that Christ energy that we believe we all have, we are challenged all the time, right? So here is a challenge about eternal life. And usually these challenges had like a, a goal. And the goal usually was to trick Jesus into doing something really bad that then he would end up being executed for, which eventually happened. But that was, seemed to be always the test. When we bring this into our own life, the tests that we have, the consequences are not necessarily death right away, but they lead, to, lead us often away from eternal life. Christ in you, the God of glory, is eternal life. Finding that Christ in us brings heaven about on earth in the here and now, and that is the promise of um, eternal life. Now, here is Jesus saying back to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Familiar, right? But it's much longer than his primary or initial commandment, we shall love one another. Here he adds very clearly, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And that is significant when it comes to service. Then the question, who is the neighbor, comes up, of course, Jesus explaining that, then through the Good Samaritan. Now, in the story, we have the Good Samaritan, as we know, beaten up really badly, on the side of the street, and then a priest comes along, walks by, a Levite comes along, crosses to the other side, walks by, and then finally the Good Samaritan comes along and takes care of that person. Okay? And so in that story, what we learn is that in order to be a Good Samaritan, we gotta include everyone. We cannot just include those people that we like. And to be in service, that's part of that. It's to be truly in pure altruistic service, we should not be selective in who we give this service to. That's not that easy, isn't it? 
Anyone ever tried to be open-hearted and joyful and try to do something good for someone you just had the worst argument with? It's a little bit difficult, right? One person. Good, good, good on you, Max. So, thank you. So, one person. <laughs> right? So, when we, are, when we are struggling with each other, it's often hard to really drop what we, are, what we so believe in and then come from that pure altruistic place to, in order to help. So then we have another piece there, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. That is the Good Samaritan telling the keeper of the inn or of the bed and breakfast, uh, I, I suppose what it would be called nowadays, or a hotel, he said, I'll come back and pay for it. I don't have the money right now. That's also significant because it goes into our beliefs about our abundance, how much abundance we have in life. Often we believe we cannot do something because we don't have the funds to actually do it. If the Good Samaritan was looking at, at the person saying, oh, geez, I really wish I could help him, but I don't have enough money to do so, and would have gone further, rather than grabbing the opportunity by the hand and say, well, let me help him first, and then we'll sort out the abundance problem, right? So there's lots of little nuggets that we have in this story. And then finally, uh, Jesus said, the one who showed him mercy, or the lawyer said, uh, the one who showed him mercy is ultimately the one that we need to resonate with, we need to align with. So, there's three things that we can learn here from the story about service. You shall love your God with all of your being, heart, mind, soul, and strength. It means that when we are in service, we should do it with everything, with everything that we have. Part of the problem sometimes is that even in, in a church, when we volunteer, for example, sometimes we just do it because we feel obligated to do it, right? And certainly, I don't want to discourage you to volunteer. Um, I'm here to just say that if that is why you volunteer, there is more for you to explore. There's more for you to realize. And that often, most of you volunteers know that I sometimes come up to you and ask you, does this bring you joy? Does volunteering in this position as a musician, as a greeter, as an usher, does that really bring you joy? We need to have that joy in order to bring all of our being into it. And volunteering with all of our being is so much more rewarding than if we just do it because we agreed to it or because we're a member and we're asked to do it. Okay, again, please don't stop volunteering. <laughs> we still need you, but it's just another level to get to. The other thing is you shall love your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength for your loved ones and for your enemies. That means you do it regardless. You don't, you're not selective. And I'm talking about, of course, volunteering again in church, but in general, when you are 
in service, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you are out and about and you want to help someone, do it out of a pure heart and don't reject the ones you may not like. That can be difficult, right? Think of politics, you know? <laughs> it's very easy to say, once you know someone is aligned with a certain perspective that is completely opposite to your perspective, it's much harder, isn't it, to then open our hearts to them and realize they're still a person. They're still a human being. Of course, if someone gets beaten up badly, most of us probably would have that good Samaritan in there. And we don't, we're not going, I'm sorry, you're a Democrat, I can't help you. Or I'm sorry, you're a Republican, you know, you're not aligned with my beliefs. Whatever it is, right? But in other cases where it's much simpler, like just holding open a door, or actually say a kind word, or um, express gratitude, validate someone. You know, think of politics, or think of certain topics where you're in complete disagreement with someone. How easy or how hard is it to validate that person and to be grateful for them? The ask here is that we do it regardless. That's what neighbor and enemies means, right? They don't necessarily have to be our enemies. They could just have a different idea, a different ideology, a different upbringing, a different way of thinking. And how often do we reject that and are not willing to serve? Finally, be merciful, above all, to those who need it rather than deserve it in your mind and heart. It's about need and not about deserving. Okay? When we clearly listen to each other, and if you think about the last few weeks when we looked at our basic needs in life, when we clearly listen to each other, when we are willing to listen to each other's stories, we have the time and energy to do so, and we're actively listening to what the other people wanting, desiring in life, then you hear their true need. It's a need that we all have. We have multiple needs, and we can be in service to that need, rather than coming more from the place of, oh, you deserve it. That's why I'm doing it. So to be of service cannot just be about tip for tat. That's reciprocal altruism. It cannot be, <clears throat> that might be a tough one, as you give, you shall receive. That's also transactional, right? Oh, I give, but hey, where is my gift back? A lot of what I call churches who use the prosperity gospel convince people to tithe by telling them that if you give us, the church, $10, you will get $100 back. That's transactional. First of all, it's garbage, right? <laughs> because to make this, to make abundance or tithing just about money is, is wrong in the first place. But that's how many, many churches finance themselves because they, they really uh, get people to believe as long as you give to the church, you will always have a lot of money. 
It's not what it is, right? Tithing is about learning that the needs that we have are valid and we deserve those needs to be fulfilled. Yes, money is a part of it, but it's not all of it. And finally, service cannot be about transactionalism. If you do this for me, then I will help you. If you smile at me, then I will smile back at you. If you open the door for me, then I will open the door for you. That's not pure altruism. That's not the service we're talking about here. So what is it then? It must be about finding yourself, from Gandhi's quote. It must be about pure altruism, again, from Dalai Lama, the source of happiness. It must be about giving it all to all. We must be invested in it 100%. That's what it means to be of service. Deepak Chopra said something really interesting. <clears throat> he said, when you express your unique talents and use them in service of humanity, you create abundance in your life and the lives of others. This adds one more thing, what service is about. It's about abundance. We must come from an abundant mind and heart for service to be truly meaningful. And that's probably the toughest one, isn't it? Because you might ask, abundance you say, what is that about? How does service connect me to abundance? Well, if you listen to Wayne Dyer, then he's saying doing what you love is the cornerstone, cornerstone of having abundance in your life. He also says, Abundance is something we tune into. This is key. That's why I love Wayne Dyer. He gets it, right? It's not something we need to create. Abundance is already here. We need to tune into it. It's like, remember those old TVs with the knobs, right? And then every single day, you know, either someone pushes on it and it didn't, you have that wonky picture, so you always have to go and fine-tune. That's how we fine-tune our lives and our beliefs and our perception to abundance. We just need to turn the knob a little bit. That's how easy it actually is. So we experience abundance when we learn to tune into an attitude of gratitude in life. And we tune into an attitude of gratitude in life by losing ourselves in service to others. So those are clear statements that I want you to take in. Those receiving our pure altruistic service also tune into an attitude of gratitude in life and therefore experience the same abundance as everyone. So those are a couple of spiritual truths linked to each other. We learn about abundance through gratitude. The more we focus on gratitude every day, we actually get to experience and tune into that abundance that's already there. We may think that we're not necessarily abundant. We may think there is lack in our lives. 
But if we learn to tune into that gratitude, we actually get to see how much more abundance is available to us in life. It's an internal circle of abundance and gratitude. When we are grateful, we experience more abundance. When we have more abundance, guess what? We are more grateful, and so on. It goes on and on and on. So here's an affirmation. I am grateful for the abundance in my life to help us start turning that circle. Let's say this together. I am grateful for the abundance in my life. When we are in service, we automatically experience more gratitude. And this is the one more thing. To help others is to help yourself. When we help others, what happens, it starts to trigger within us a sense of gratitude. That's a negative state relief model that psychologists have come up with. They realize through research that as long if someone is really down on themselves, then what we can do, we can ask them to help someone else. And then their depression level uh, comes back up, or, or goes down, rather. And I actually use this all the time. When I meet with clients and they're really hard on themselves, I say, go and call someone up and see if you can meet them and can help them. Go and help someone. Do this on a daily basis and you will start feeling better. And it works every single time. So to summarize for today, service is an opportunity to find ourselves, help ourselves, and learn to appreciate the abundance already in existence in our lives. When we serve, when we help, we'll feel better about ourselves. We automatically are more grateful about who we are and how about others as well who are helping us. And that experience allows us to see true abundance. But remember, pure altruism, it has to come from a pure place. Not that this doesn't work when it's not coming from a true place. It just limits the effect that it has on us. As pure we can come when we help, when we serve, the more likely we find more gratitude and more abundance in our lives. God's service is about putting all our heart, mind, soul, and strength into it and giving it all to all. Don't hold back. Don't reject. If you follow some of the Buddhist and Hindu ideas, Eastern philosophies, there is this belief that what is on the outside is a perfect reflection of what's, in, what's on the inside. Have you ever heard that? What's on the outside, what we perceive on the outside, is a perfect reflection on the inside. To give it all to all means that we're not excluding anyone. And when we are not excluding anyone outside of ourselves, guess what? We're also not excluding some of the judgments we have. We can start healing those judgments that otherwise will be missed by including everyone. And finally, God, 
human service must be pure. Our God service, our human service must be pure. We all are on a learning curve together. We all are in different stages in our lives. Purity means something different for everyone. And yet there is a commonality between how we appreciate purity and how we accept purity in our lives. But that is the goal, right? It's a high goal that we have. But we must understand that the service that we do, whether it's at home, with our friends, at work, at church, there is levels that we can learn to appreciate and to grow into that will help us find more gratitude and more abundance in our lives. And so that is it for today, because we do want to get to the communion, and I want to talk about it a little bit as well. Um, next week, I want to talk about joy in service. They both belong together. We must have joy in order to serve. Okay? So the only exercise for today will be doing communion. So those of you who are really happy right now, so you're welcome. <laughs> Not another exercise, but um, the communion is uh, going to be a nice exercise for all of us too. So let's go right into communion. <clears throat> you, can, you can wait till the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. No, you're good. So we're doing this for the first time, so um, here's an opportunity to serve us by being gracious, <laughs> if we make any mistakes. So First Sunday Communion is something that we're going to start from now on. Communion is maybe triggering to some of you. Some of you may have grown up as Catholics or in, in other ways and have taken on communion in a, very, in a way that's very difficult for you. I'll give you a, a, an example. Like My mom's Catholic. My dad's Protestant. And they decided when I was born that I'm going to be baptized Protestant and will be raised Protestant because they felt, as I remember they telling me, um, it was just less restrictive. But I loved going to Mass with my mom. I loved going there. I liked the rituals. I, I liked that we all knew what to do at any given time. There was something that I always appreciated. And I found the Swiss Protestant church a bit barren, you know. It's like a bit stiff almost. We as Swiss are already stiff as we come, right? You all know this, you know. I'm probably the stiffest person in here, <laughs> you know. And yet, when I go back to Switzerland in a few weeks, they probably go, hey, you're way too relaxed. <laughs> yeah. So, so when, when I was going, you know, I love going to the Catholic Church except for one thing. Guess what? I was not allowed to take communion. And you know how I felt? I really felt like shit. Pardon my French. But I was a, you know, four or five-year-old, as I can remember, and I was sitting there while everyone lined up, came forward to the priest, and I was sitting there all by myself and felt like I didn't belong. 
okay? But everything else I loved, right? So the way we do communion is there's no exclusion. You are the only one who will decide whether you want to take communion or not today. And I want to also explain a couple of things about communion that I think is really important if I can get the slide to work. So who has grown up with hearing the blood of Christ and the body of Christ? Wow, almost everyone, right? Who has still kind of almost PTSD from that? <laughs> right? A little bit of scary thought, right? Body of Christ, I'm supposed to eat Christ's body, I'm supposed to drink Christ's blood. Didn't really make much sense, right? Didn't make much sense to me either. And we have the basis here for where this is coming from. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. Scary, right? What are we doing here? Cannibalism? You know? No. No. Remember that the gospel and all the Bible stories, everything in the Bible, at least Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, was so clear on that. The Bible is a collection of stories who tell us our own unfolding. It's examples of how we can become better spiritually. That's what it means. So the flesh must mean something else. The body must mean something else. The blood must mean something else. And guess what? It does. Okay? Metaphysically speaking, bread means substance. And substance is our ability to create whatever we desire. We tap into the same substance. You can also see it as an ocean. We tap into the same substance, all of us, that same infinite potential. Out of that, we will create. That's what bread means. When I will break this bread today as a symbol of us coming together, it's a reminder, a reminder for all of us that we have the power and the glory within us in order to desire and create whatever we want. Wine, the blood of Christ, means bringing life and vitality to what we create. Both are important. We need to understand that we are the creator together with God, right? Co-creation. Most of us have heard that word before. God cannot exist without us. We cannot exist without God. We create together, okay? Substance is that which we bring into existence. It's non-material. It doesn't exist in material yet. It's, it's that Higgs field type of stuff I talked two or three months ago about, where it's just not in manifestation yet. Okay? That's what substance is. But then, as we create, we need to come alive. We need to come alive. That's why wants are not enough. We need to have desires. Because desires, guess what? Bring, put the fire under our behinds. And then we really put our energy in things. And that's how we create. So all we're doing today 
is we're reminding ourselves we need substance, bread, and we need life and vitality. And here are some scriptures. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. That's references that Jesus did on the bread, and that's how he connects to that substance. And then Richard Rohr, some of you may be familiar with his work, he is saying the Eucharist is telling us that God is the food, and all we have to do is provide the hunger. Guess what kind of hunger that is? Let us be hungry together for our divine ability to create and what we desire and bring life and vitality to what we create. Let me say this again. Let us be hungry together for our divine ability to create what we desire and bring life and vitality to what we create. Okay? And I think that's when we start our communion. And I would like for all of us to start each communion once a month together with the Lord's Prayer. And we're using the King James Version. So let's say this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day for our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
let us move right into meditation. And as I promised, there will always be a hiccup. I forgot to break the bread. How could I? So we're breaking the bread together as a symbol and reminder that we all have the power to create. And we drink the wine together or the nice fine grape juice because we remember that we give life and vitality to our lives. Amen. So let us now take a moment in meditation, deeply taking in whatever feelings, whatever thoughts we have. Allow yourself to come to a calm and easy place. Recognize that in this moment, you are the perfection that you seek to be. Just softly breathe in the vitality of life. Allow your blood to be that way of transporting this energy, this potential throughout your blood, throughout your body, and allow, allow your body to become the potential for you to create. As we all come together today in this meditation, as we all have taken communion together, we recognize that there is only one, only one power and one presence, and we all share that. Allow the joy to become part of this moment. Recognize your opportunity, your presence of service. Allow whatever comes to mind, your true desires connected to your needs in your life, to be at the, pre at the very beginning of your creation. Think of yourself in the highest way. Let go of any limitations and any judgments. Let go of any regrets and worries. And be present with yourself. Allow this presence to grow into this room. Allow this presence to become one with everyone who is here and online. Allow your presence to become important. So important that you are the cause of your own goodness. So important that you and everyone in here are the cause of eternal goodness. Together we create 
Together we serve. Together we find joy. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.